Be Christ Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today our student pastor, Ethan Smith, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Good morning, church. There we go. If you have your Bible, then go ahead and grab it. We are going to be in the Old Testament today. We're going to be in the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to be looking at the first 15 verses in our time together. Again, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. And while you are turning there, I'm going to pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together to worship you. God, we're here for you. And Lord, where other things are crowding into our our hearts and our minds even now, I pray that you would remove them, Lord, that our heart would be set on Christ. God, I pray that we would, through this text, begin to take you seriously as we're supposed to do. God, that's not something that will naturally take place. But God, that's what you've called us to. And so Lord, I pray that you would move through this time for our edification to make us more like Jesus, to grow us in our love for Christ and our joy found in Christ. And for the glory of of our Redeemer who died and rose again to save us. So Father, I I pray through your Spirit you would bless this time as we look at your word. This is your word, it's not mine. I pray you would do it for the glory of Christ. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. I am concerned. I'm concerned both as a, a Christian and as a pastor, looking at the landscape of of this church, of the culture at large, and of American Christianity as a whole. And I'm concerned by the rampant indifference we show toward God. Now, it's, it's not hostility. We're not fighting against God at war with God for the most part. It's how little concerned we are for God. Sure, we we come to church most weeks. We might give. We might serve. But our hearts and our minds are often unburdened by the seriousness with which the Bible speaks about God. Even just a a casual reading of the Bible reveals this one glaring truth that God plays for keeps. And we ignore this reality, this one massive truth at our own peril. The Bible is a serious book. The Christian life is to be a serious life with with serious joy found only in Christ. 
Serious difficulties, serious trials and tribulations that we will face. And yet, we take it lightly. Other things take priorities. Other activities need to be done. And we put God on the back burner. Which begs the question, it's a question we need to answer, not just now, but repeatedly, Do we actually believe the Bible? Do we actually believe the Bible? Now, I know, and I say this to the students often, I know you know the answer that I want to hear. But do you actually believe the Bible? Do you actually believe in a literal hell in which people will spend an eternity? Do you believe about a, a real cross in which the Son of God is slaughtered? Do you believe in a coming judgment day in which every thought, word, and deed that we perform will be brought before God and we be held accountable? Or are we inadvertently playing a game in which God exists only as a butler who's there to make my life more comfortable, do the things that I want him to do before I die, and he opens the gate of heaven and welcomes me in because that's what I'm entitled to. After all, right? We're not that bad. It's what we deserve. Our God is infinite in holiness and glory, and majesty. He cannot be approached casually or flippantly. He spoke the world into existence, and He plays for keeps. And if we're followers of Christ, we need to live like that's true. And what we're going to see from 2 Samuel chapter 6 will surprise us. On on the surface, it may seem unfair, but our own displeasure at what takes place in this text really reveals our ignorance to the majesty and glory of God. How flippantly we take God. 2 Samuel chapter 6. We'll start in verses 1 through 4 says this, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. So let's set the scene for a second. David is is king over all Israel. Saul is dead. David is reigning over the entire nation. And he is leading his chosen men, 30,000 chosen men, to, to pick up the ark of the covenant and to bring it into Jerusalem. Bring it into the city 
of David. Now, if you remember your Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was the central symbol of the worship of Israel. This ark was the centerpiece of their worship. It was placed in the center of the tabernacle in the most holy place. And it was designated with a a level of holiness because that's where God dwelt in a unique and a significant special way such that it could only be approached by a high priest and that only once a year on the Day of Atonement. And you can see its importance even in the description. Look at verse 2. The ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. It is so related to God that the ark is called by the name of God. But if if it's so important for Israel's worship, where in the world has it been? Where's it been? The last we hear about the ark is found in 1 Samuel chapter 5 through chapter 7 verse 2. That's the last we hear about it. Now if you go to that passage, you'll see in 1 Samuel chapter 5, the the Philistines actually capture the ark of the covenant. They go, they defeat Israel, they capture the ark and they carry it as a trophy back into their land. And they actually put it in their temple, the temple of Dagon. Now what happens? The ark is placed in front of this false god named Dagon, and they leave, they come back the next day, and the idol has fallen on its face before the ark. Now that's, that's odd, that's weird, so what do they do? Set it back up, right? What else are you going to do? They come back the next day, and what happens? Dagon is on his face again, except this time, his head and his hands are detached. Along with this, we learn that the the hand of the Lord was heavy against the cities of the Philistines. They were being afflicted with with tumors, and the people were in this massive panic, according to 1 Samuel 5, verse 9. And this is a reminder for us that every square inch of the universe belongs to God. God is not rendered powerless because he's no longer in Israel. They think this is a trophy. This God is defeated. But that victory of the Philistines is quickly turned into a defeat. And they ship the ark back to Israel. This is what's going to happen. Get it out. And they ship it. And it stays in that location. What our text calls Baal Judah until our text. So now David is the king. Right, a lot's taken place from 1 Samuel chapter 7 to 2 Samuel 6. Saul has risen as king. He is now dead. And David, the man after God's own heart, has become king. And so he wants to, to bring the ark into Jerusalem that all Israel might worship God. That's good. That's a right desire. God has commanded His people to to worship. And the tabernacle was to be the location. But there's something in the text that's problematic. Do you see it? Do you see the sinful disobedience going on in what we read? It's in the 
small detail that will have this massive effect as we continue on in the narrative. The ark was placed on a cart. Why is this such a big deal? Why is this such a big deal? Because according to Numbers chapter 4, the family of the Kohathites were charged by God, commanded by God, to carry the ark. That's their job. The ark has rings on the bottom, poles go through it, and the Kohathites had the task of carrying the ark on their back. So all those present, David, his 30,000 chosen men, Ahio and Uzzah, from the beginning are guilty before God in how they're transferring the ark. Now that sets up what's going to take place in verses 5 through 11. Look at the text, 5 through 11. And David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and cassinets and cymbals. So a variety of musical instruments are involved in the worship of God. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Verse 7. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had burst forth against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Wow. You want to talk about a quick way to ruin a celebration? Have somebody struck down by God in the middle of your party. All right? I don't recommend that. Graduates getting ready to have your celebration. I don't recommend this taking place. All right? It's a major way to just ruin the entire occasion. Right? And we read this story and we're repulsed by it. Are we not? Think about what just took place. So the ark is being brought to Jerusalem. It's good. The king and all his people are are celebrating. They're worshiping before God. The oxen carrying the cart stumbles. It happens, right? It happens. The roads aren't paved. The oxen stumble. The ark is falling to the ground. And so Uzzah reaches out his hand and he steadies it. Sets it back up right. And he's killed by God on the spot. It doesn't seem fair, does it? David seems to think it's unfair. He's angry with the Lord. After all, Uzzah's only trying to help. 
If anything, God should have thanked Uzzah, right? For not letting the ark fall. Right? Even if it meant he, he touched the ark. Isn't that what we naturally think? He's, he's doing a good thing. He should be rewarded by God. God's being way too harsh in this moment. And that shows how lightly and casually we take God. Numbers chapter 4, already referenced, but verse 15 says this, And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary as the camp sets out, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to carry these. And then listen to this, But they must not touch the holy things, lest they die. So God told all Israel in advance that the Ark of the Covenant was to be treated as holy. And as such was not to be touched the penalty of death. Is this not clear? Is this not straightforward? God says if you touch the Ark, you die. As a touched the ark, and he's killed on the spot. So what do we learn? God keeps his word. God keeps his word. And we get upset by this story because we do not understand the holiness of God. In thinking Uzzah is in the right, we display our ignorance of the majesty of God. We expect God to lower his standards because his intentions, Uzzah's intentions were good. We expect God to, to take a look at the entire situation. He's only trying to help. And we expect him to adjust accordingly. We expect God to act unlike God when it's convenient for us. And we do this in our own lives, don't we? We can assume, right? I know God's holy. He's, he's called me to, to live a holy life. But, but Pastor, man, I'm, I'm in church two or three times a week. Surely God's not going to care if I, I drink a little too much on a Friday night. He doesn't mind. He doesn't care. It doesn't bother him. I pay my tithes the way I'm supposed to. God's not going to mind what I watch on the computer. Surely he won't mind. I know I'm, I'm supposed to make church a priority for my family, but we're really busy. We got a lot of stuff going on. I know my children should, should be involved, but they have so much going on outside of church. They're in sports, they're taking tough classes, you really have no idea. If anything, God should just be, be happy that they're there at all. God won't mind if the, my child or my student misses Bible study or, or worship. After all, we, we can't force them to come to church. We can't make them like church. They have more fun other places. And that attitude displays 
a lack of seriousness toward God. We're gambling with our eternities when we treat God so casually. God plays for keeps and He will not lower His standards because our intentions are good. Because we feel entitled to it. Our good intentions will not save anyone from hell. Only faith in Christ will save. And it's a faith in Christ that leads to a transformed life of obedience to Christ. You won't have genuine faith without a resulting obedience to Christ. And you're playing games otherwise. You're playing games otherwise. Uzzah was struck down for assuming that his touching the ark was allowable if his intentions were right. But what have we already learned about this situation? From Numbers chapter 4. This entire scene should never have taken place. This entire story was completely avoidable if they would have taken heed to what God explicitly, clearly commanded them to do. If the Kohathites had been brought in to carry the ark, none of this would have happened. But instead, they put the ark on a cart. The cart is pulled by oxen. The oxen stumbled. The ark is falling. Uzzah reacts and is struck down for a sinful action in the midst of an entire nation that is being complicit in sin. God is in the right and Uzzah failed to take God seriously. Let me ask a question though. This isn't explicitly in the text but I think it's interesting to think about. What would have happened What would have happened had the ark fallen to the ground? Had Uzzah not reached out his hand, but the ark falls to the ground? I'm willing to bet, from the pattern of of Scripture, that God would have rightfully poured out his wrath on the entire nation. I think that's a fair conclusion to reach. When the entire nation sins, God does not hesitate to pour out judgment. Think of the golden calf where 3,000 are are killed. Think of the entire wilderness generation dying in the wilderness, not entering the promised land because they disobey God. So why, why is this important? Why ask that question at all? It's because then Uzzah Though unwittingly, he acted as an atonement for the sin of the entire nation. Uzzah died, not voluntarily, but he died acting as a substitute for the entire 
nation. His death, though caused by his own sin, delivered the entire nation from the wrath of God, who were complicit in sin. And this brings to mind a a prophecy spoken later on, much later, in the book of John chapter 11, verses 49 and 50. And John records this, But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, he said to them, You know nothing at all, talking to the religious leaders. He says, Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. So he argues, Caiaphas is arguing long time in the future, that it's better that one person die rather than the entire nation perish. Now he's not looking back toward Uzzah and this situation, this narrative. Who's he talking about? He's speaking about the one who willingly and knowingly laid down his life to save and to redeem those who are doomed to perish. Jesus Christ, our Savior. Uzzah was a sinful man and he paid the price for his sin even with the best of intentions. Jesus was without sin, without spot, and he laid down his life on the cross. Both acted in the place of others. Both died to preserve and to deliver those who were under the just wrath of God. One failed to take God seriously, and the other understood completely. You cannot look at the cross of Christ and believe that God is casual about sin and salvation. It's a fundamental misunderstanding of what is taking place on the cross where the Son of God has the wrath of God poured out on Him in order to deliver. That's how bad our sin is. That the slaughtering of the Son of God, who is without blemish, without spot, is necessary. And God vindicates His holiness, His righteousness in that moment. Romans chapter 3, verses 25 through 26, Paul speaking about Jesus being put forward by God says this, as a propitiation by His blood to be received by Faith. He says this was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, His patience, He had passed over former sins. Verse 26, it was to show His righteousness at the present time so that, we might be, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So God vindicates His righteousness and He saves Sinners by slaughtering the Son of God. There's nothing light or flippant 
in this moment. We must take it seriously. God is a serious God. Sin is serious. Salvation is serious. The Bible is serious. The joy, the life found in Christ are serious. We cannot be casual. And this entire scene made David afraid. After all, if if this is what God will do to somebody only trying to help, how in the world can I bring it to my house? And so he places the ark ark in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. This man welcomes the ark into his home after hearing about what had taken place. So I'm sure he knows what just took place and why in the world this is coming here. But yet he welcomes the ark and he treats it as it should be treated. And, And what happens? He's blessed by God. Those who honor the Lord rightly, who treat him as he is to be treated, will be blessed by God. Perhaps in this life, perhaps not. The gospel doesn't guarantee financial prosperity or perfect health or the perfect marriage, perfect career. But we do know that in eternity, God will repay with joy, with life. So all the the parties, all the activities that you miss because you take God more seriously will not be for naught. I'm thinking of you graduates as you go off to, to college, you go off to work. Prioritizing God will never lead you into any eternal danger. Now it might cost you some social credibility. It might cost you a grade in a philosophy class or a religion course. But your being faithful and taking God seriously will not be forgotten by God. It won't. And continuing in your faith in Christ, whether graduate, student, child, or adult, continuing in your faith in Christ is the surest sign of the genuineness of your faith in Christ. To keep on. Take the Lord at His word and take it seriously. Look at verses 12 through 15. And it was told King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. So David hears of the blessing of Obed-Edom and he remembers the faithfulness of God. And so he goes back to finish what he started. He's going to bring 
the ark into Jerusalem. And he's going to celebrate and he's going to worship God. But this time, this time, he's going to do it according to the word of the Lord. Do you notice the different, how different this, this scene is from the previous one? What did they do differently? Look at verse 13. We have this, this interesting little phrase. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord. Now that's much different than what we're told in the original passage, isn't it? When those who bore the ark of the Lord, instead of the ark being placed on a cart, the cart pulled by oxen, this time they are obeying God by bearing the ark on their back. They are obeying the Lord. And to show this reality, when they had gone six steps, David sacrificed an oxen and a fattened animal. Now, I'm just curious whether or not that's the same oxen that stumbled three months earlier. Who knows? But they are repentant toward God. And how do we know they're repentant? Because they obeyed God. How do you know that we are repentant when we sin? When we turn from that sin and pursue after God. No longer do they presume that the Lord will bless, the Lord will honor them, simply because their intentions are right. They're committed to obeying God. They're going to do God's work in God's way. Church, that needs to be our commitment. In every aspect of our church, the goal should be submission to the Word of God. Our preferences set aside. What I desire really doesn't matter. What does God say? This book needs to be our rule. And if this is how David reacted to God in the Ark of the Covenant, in worship, in celebration, in joy, how much more should we who know Christ respond in obedience and worship? Every aspect of this is important, and I think we need to take it to heart. That they obediently follow God. They look to the Word of God. What has God said? Okay, this clan is supposed to carry it. They're going to carry it. They look to the Word of God to learn how they are to live, and they don't leave it with just, okay, I understand. They apply it. They obey. We've got to do the same. Graduate, do you want to know how to take the Lord seriously? To live in obedience to Him? Open the Bible and see. Adults, do you want to know how to take God seriously and live in obedience to Christ? Open the Bible and see. Parents, do you know how to disciple your children and students to honor Christ, to be faithful in their own walk with Christ? Live this out in front of them. They're watching. Whatever you prioritize, they'll see. Whatever you treasure most, they will see. Is it work? Is it golf? Is it your sports team? 
Is it your vacation? Or is it Christ? What you treasure most will not be lost on your child or student. Second, David worshipped with joy. You see that? He danced with all his might before the ark. All his might. How much more should we celebrate and worship our God? He sent his son to die in our place. Rise again on the third day so that those who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's worth celebrating. We celebrate a lot of good earthly things. That's right. It's good. We are to do so. But how much more should we celebrate our life in Christ? How much more should our worship time be filled with joy? The baptisms we get to see be filled with joy. We can get so caught up in our preferences and, and life and worship. Well, they don't do this. I really prefer this. I, they didn't do this. I really prefer that. That we miss the entire point. Christ. It was for the joy set before Him that Christ endured the cross. Hebrews chapter 12. It must be our joy in Christ that keeps us going when things are going well and when things are going terribly. We have a reason to celebrate because we have Christ and we're safe in His hands. So church, I'm begging you, take God seriously. He plays for keeps. He honors His Word. He judges justly. And He sent Christ to redeem. We cannot be casual in our relationship with Christ. We need to grow up into maturity, into Him who is the head, namely Christ. We'll find more joy in this world in the midst of of struggle and tribulation and life in the world to come by taking God seriously. The stakes could not be higher for you, for your family. Christ is ready to save. If you're here and you, you know I don't take God seriously at all, I don't know Christ at all, then you have the opportunity to believe in Christ today, to begin to take God seriously. We can't keep making excuses. Defaulting to the tyranny of the urgent. Whatever's right in front of me is the most important. We need to take God seriously. We need to treasure Jesus above everything else. We need to live like it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for the reminder, if for no one else, just for me, of how I need to, first and foremost, take you seriously. I cannot be flippant or casual. And God, I, I confess how often that is the case. But Lord, we long for more. Lord, we want to see this church worshiping you. We want to see this church bearing fruit in this community. And that's not going to happen 
if we are casual in our relationship with you. And so, God, I pray during this time that the, the text and what it is that you have done, and this is not just a, a random instance. This is all throughout Scripture, even in the New Testament, of you acting in a serious manner to display your glory and your worth and how we are to take you seriously. And so, Lord, I pray that we would do just that, that we would feel the weight of it, and that we would respond accordingly, not just for the duration of the next song or even through the duration of the day, but through every day we would take you seriously. God, we would care about your Bible. But that doesn't mean that everybody needs to go and study for hours and hours and hours, but Lord, it means we are to take you seriously when we go to work, when we go to school, when we go home, go to the ball field. Lord, that everyday faithfulness of taking God seriously is what we long to see. Because I, I believe with all my heart that you're going to honor it and bless it and see fruit being born because we take you and your word seriously and we long to elevate Christ and live like Christ. And so, Lord, I pray you would move in this time for the glory of Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.